Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Good morning. It's going to be a warmer day. You guys excited? Well, before we get out there, we get the privilege of kind of sitting before God's Word today. So um, he wants to speak something uh, really powerful this morning. And uh, so, yeah, let's perk our ears up. Uh, Thanks so much. And, um, well, this series that we've been going through is um, Hero Living. And uh, the premise is, is that if you want to live a victorious Christian life, you've got to get trained. It's one of the reasons why Jesus took on 12 guys and poured his life into them for three and a half years so that he could not just pass on the knowledge of the gospel, but the ways of the gospel, and that you're living it out, that it's not just this concept that we kind of know and understand some things about God, but that it works down into the very fiber of our being to where you not only know God, but you're actually walking in the purpose in which God made you. How exciting is that? So uh, to kind of live at the hero level, we need training. Uh, Hebrews 5 says this, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Takes a little practice. Sometimes we're not fully aware. It's really hard to discern what is good and what is Uh, from the kingdom of darkness, the ways of the world, from the enemy, from our own flesh. And so we need to be trained. Remember, his church, we said kind of in the opening week, is not meant to live on the defense, but on the offense, right? So we don't want to just live a reactionary life where we feel like kind of the pinball in the pinball machine, just kind of bouncing off of life's problems, you know, boom, 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 and then just allowing kind of the world and and life circumstance to dictate your course. Man, it's like I just bounced off all my problems, and it's like life decided where I should be. No, no, no. That's not the design God made you to live with. We don't want to live like that. We want to live lives that are victorious. Irregardless, sorry, that's not even a word, regardless of the circumstances. (laughs) I know a couple people in there that love the irregardless movie, or word. So, um... Let's pray, yes, before we dive into training mission number three. Lord God, we are come before you with hearts that God desire you, that, Lord, we want to hear from you. Father, we're here, God, because we want to uh, move forward in you. God, we want to get closer to you. God, we want to be a greater uh, representation of who you are in our own life, uh, to our family and loved ones to our coworkers, God, we're looking to you to transform and change us to be the sons and daughters that you designed us to be, that original design. And I pray that, Lord, this morning that that original design would come out more and more, that we'd be aware, Lord, of what we're sowing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So training mission number three is you reap what you sow. So wake up and choose life. That was our first week. You have a choice between death and life. God's like encouragement is choose life. 
Then last week we talked about how power is guarded by problems, that God sometimes sovereignly allows certain problems in your life so that you work through it and get trained up by it. Now this week, training mission number three is you reap what you sow. Why this matters is strategic living is understanding and practicing the law of sowing and reaping. I'm going to come at at this from a, a little bit of a side angle. But how many of you are familiar with the phrase, with great power comes great responsibility? Yes? What movie is that from? Spider-Man. Where's so, let me tell you a little history. It didn't originate at Spider-Man. It originated somewhere else. In the first episode of the 1948 series Superman, Eben Kent tells his adopted son Clark that because of these great powers, your speed and strength, your x-ray vision and super sensitive hearing, you have a great responsibility. Ooh, the specific phrasing with great power comes great responsibility evolved from Spider-Man's first appearance in 1962 from Stan Lee's amazing Spider-Man. So anyway, a little history, but that phrase was just kind of like caught on my imagination as we were kind of going through, as I was getting prepared for this message, you reap what you sow. And this kind of, this scene, this with great power comes great responsibility. It kind of sounds like Luke 12, where it says, from everyone who has been given much, much is demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This sense of if you've been given a lot by God, it's on us to work and receive and take on that responsibility that He's given us, you and I. So kind of how we, how we get to this law of sowing and reaping, one, we have to understand that growth comes by accepting responsibility. Ooh, that sells, right? A lot of self-help books on accepting responsibility. No, there's not too many. We don't like accepting responsibility, but God wants to crank up your level of responsibility because He's looking for those whose hearts that are fully His that He wants to build His kingdom family with. And maybe not just the gospel is to get your uh, assets into heaven, but to actually partner with God to learn how to rule and reign with Him. So we look at Jesus shared this interesting parable, Luke 19 said this. Now, a parable is just an illustration. It's a made-up story to, to uh, describe what something else is like. So Jesus shares this parable about what the kingdom of God is like. He says, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. All right. So a little contention about his rulership. Anyway, moving on. Verse 15. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in his servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Now imagine kind of what he would have to go through to kind of take what he's been giving, given and invest it and work it and plow it and see it increase. Not just double, but ten times what he was originally given. Imagine what that would kind of take, what you'd have to endure, the faithfulness, the longevity, the endurance. 
God says that, or this uh, king, this crowned king, replies this, Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So now you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. Next servant responded, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. The third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. Here's this king's reply. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I was a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops that I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant, the wicked servant, and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Man, I thought Jesus was a socialist. No, no, no. This is not. This is not. This, is, this overthrows our, our idea of like God wants equality. No, no, no. God doesn't, God doesn't handle humanity in the same way our fallen evil world system tries to. It's a kingdom of God. It's like, man, there's reward for using money well. What is it? To rule over cities. Man, you handled the little responsibility faithfully, so I'm going to what? Give you more responsibility. You've been trained well. Now I've got some other purposes for you that are maybe a lot grander and a lot bigger than you ever thought of or dreamed of. Being trained through life circumstances is about you and I growing in our ability to rule and reign with God. We saw this, oh, number two. So, one, growth comes by accepting responsibility. And two, avoid the blame game and reject being a victim. Avoid the blame game and reject being a victim. We see this kind of flourish even in the garden, right? The blame game. Adam and Eve fall. God shows up on the scene. He's like, where are you? They're hiding. They actually come out from hiding and have a conversation with uh, Yahweh. And he comes up to Adam, and he's like, what happened? His first, <laughs> his first response is, it's this woman you gave me, right? His first response is, it's this woman that you took out from my side and, like, my partner, it's the woman. And then he goes over to Eve, and he's like, Eve, what happened? And she's like, man, it's this garden, the snake that you put in it, it's your fault. You put this snake in here. Or maybe if it's not your fault, it's the environment's fault. I'm going to blame the environment. It, there was a snake in here I didn't know. And so we see this blame game begin to take flight, even in the garden, of how our natural human disposition is to not accept responsibility, but to pin it off on somebody else, to not to just blame circumstances, blame other people, blame other people's shortcoming, blame the teammate who didn't really. It's natural. 
And there's tons of ways that you and I every day do the same thing. We look for ways to avoid taking responsibility of our lives, and we push blame on other people. Think about the last time that you knew that you became aware of a problem that maybe you're to blame for. Uh Uh-oh. Made a mistake. Somehow they're like, hey, did you do that? Is your first response, honestly, gut response in your, in your mind is, wow, you're totally right. It's my fault I forgot to do that, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to fix it. No, that's not our normal reaction. Our normal reaction is, who or what can I pin this on? Who or what can I, right in this moment, can I pin this on? Uh, my dog ate the homework. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, starts. I'll tell you this. You will never grow if you blame your problems on other people. That's a fact. You will never grow if you blame your problems on other people. You can't grow and accuse other people at the same time. Impossibility. Two different engines can't run simultaneously. So if you want to grow, if you want to see what God's doing in your life, clearly step one is... Stop blaming things on other people and start asking, God, what's on me? What's my part to play in this? I'm going to, instead of putting up the mirror to everyone else, I'm going to flip that bad boy and put it up to me. God, where did I fall short? How could, have I, how could have I accepted a little more responsibility here? God, what are you asking me to do? What's my part in this? It's those kind of questions that we should be asking. But humans love the blame game so much that We've developed codified ideas of thought around this that so many people fall prey to. Our natural disposition is to blame other people for the problems in our own life. And it gets codified. We're going to kind of go through a couple uh, thought camps of how this gets codified. How many of you know ideas have consequences? Ideas have consequences. If you sow certain ideas into a population... There, that's going to grow. If you sow other seed, that's going to grow. It's, a law, it's the law of sowing and reaping. And so these ideas have consequences. What are, what are some thought camps? Well, one, Freudianism. Freudianism, Sigmund Freud, middle 1800s, middle 1900s. All problems, his summary is all problems are the result of your parents. Your parents. And how your child formed in that incubation period and really all that your adult problems are the result of your childhood incubation period. And really, it's, it's this path to self-discovery. Uh, it's, this, it's this, you can help discover why you're, if they can help you, these uh, Freudian psychologists can help you discover why your parents made you such a screw-up. I mean, they use big words to describe your neuroses and anxieties, and it's all about self-discovery. And here's the deal with self-discovery. There's no end to it. It's a bottomless pit. It's layer, uh, layer after layer of the onion. And then you keep going, and then what you're left with is just kind of like these onion, stinky onion shells around you, and you're like, man, this life sucks. It's like, yeah, because you're looking in the wrong place. Proverbs 8.2 says, a fool has no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. That's a definition of a fool. The answer is not in there. 
It's just more of your brokenness and sin and human depravity. So there's no power to change or fix anything with Freudianism. It just helps you get the blame off yourself and onto somebody else. Great, fascinating BBC documentary. If, if you're looking for some alternative media to kind of uh, learn from, uh, BBC documentary, probably around uh, 2000, did a great three, four-part series on the century of self. If you haven't watched that, you should watch it. Um, just the influence of Freudianism upon our American consumer culture. It's eye-opening. All right, second thing, uh, Marxism. Marxism is another uh, idea that has consequences. Our culture has been kind of courting Marxism now for a while, and we have young people who really have no idea how many millions of people, north of 100 million, that have died over the last 100 years due to Marxism, yet here we are. You may be wondering, well, when people, think, when people call things woke, they're essentially meaning Marxist, which means that company went woke. It means they bought into these Marxist principles. Marxism attempts to put people into classes and categories. Oppressor, oppressed. But let me tell you, Marxism does not care the least in helping the oppressed. It has only been about gaining power. That's what they crave. And so they will use slogans and phrases to let the, or to fool their audience into thinking that they actually care. But they don't. It's a method for taking governments and societies over. Both, anyway. I'm a history nut. Both the KGB and the CIA have been using the exact same tactics for the past 80 years. Anyway, and it's through these means. It's through these means. Um, anyway, so it's an attempt to get you into the blame game. The reason my life is like this is because of that. Because of that system, because of that person, because of what other people. All right, let's keep going. Behaviorism. You've been conditioned by society, parents, and education. All your kind of factors. And so really, if there's a problem in your life, it's really searching outside of what went wrong. And you kind of go back through the Rolodex of your life, and you kind of search after, and you're kind of on this hunt-seek mission as to, like, what conditions were wrong that messed me up. How about evolution? Slime plus time, baby. It's a result of your biology. It's not my fault. It's just how we evolved. Another thought or another idea camp that gets the blame off of us and onto nature. We're just born this way. And the last one that kind of you find a little bit more in churches and in religious circles is devilism. The devil made me do it. There was a guy in my neighborhood that I grew up uh, kind of with. He was about six years older than I was. And uh, he kind of stuck out in our neighborhood because he was the only albino. Uh, you ever been around an albino kind of guy, guy fully white? I mean, definitely stands out. Anyway, we were on the swim team, and so we had an albino guy on our swim team. Anyway, so uh, I met him, I don't know, 20 years after, and uh, we, we, we crossed each other. 
And uh, I was like, hey, Judd, what's up, man? And he goes, hey, brother. His eyes got really wild. And, and uh, his first little, he, do you believe in deliverance? And I was like, well, oh, you're coming along a little strong there, champ. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. But, uh, and, and so he goes on, and he, had, he, he starts talking about how he's gotten into 12 car accidents because the enemy, take, the devil makes him, like, crash his car. And it was like, I just couldn't compute this, like, human adult just fully not taking responsibility for his own actions, but pawning it off on the enemy. I mean, it's like, if the devil didn't exist, would we invent him to blame him for our own choices? Maybe. But they, the, all these camps, Freudianism, Marxism, all these, they have a way of saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. And there may be nuggets of truth in each of these. Totally would, would concede that there's, that there's little truths in all these camps, but they don't solve the problem. They don't solve the problem. They keep the problem alive. And so there's never any resolve. And so you're just in this just amorphous anxiety of hope I'm doing the right thing. Now, listen, you may have been a victim to something at some point in your life. And many people have had those moments in their life where you truly were at the receiving end of great injustice. But God doesn't want you to stay there. God doesn't want you to stay there. You have the ability to do something. But you can't learn and accuse at the same time. We kind of have to begin to say, really, the problem begins here with me. I'm not responsible for what you do, but I am responsible for how I react to what you do. This happens a lot of times in relationships. A very common uh, excuse is, you made me do this. Well, you were acting like this, and so therefore, I teed off on you. Whose fault? Well, it was the first one, right? I mean, I get, no, no, no. You're responsible for you. Other people can't make you do or respond anyway. It's your taking on that choice. I am choosing to respond this way. So in those moments, it's, God, what am I responsible for? Oh, man, I lost it. I got emotional. Man, that's on me. That's on me. God won't remove the circumstances that he wants to use to change you, unfortunately. God won't remove the circumstances he wants to use to change you. And, that's, and it's in that that the law of sowing and reaping is pivotal to understand. We actually sang this scripture this morning but already, but Galatians 6, 7, 9 says this. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever he sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Man, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, they will reap. Whatever seed you sow, it will produce a crop. Fact. 
So whether you're knowing or not, you are planting seeds every day and you're harvesting seeds every day. It's the same way in our lives when you plant things. You will reap the things that you've planted. So you may ask, but why am I going, always going through financial straits? Or why is my life so terrible? Or why does no one like me? Well, maybe you've been planting, ster- planting terrible spending strategies and you've been planting anger and frustration and backbiting. I mean, what do you think was going to happen? It's the seed that you've been sowing is coming up to a harvest. It's going to bear fruit. So many of us are complaining about the fruit in our lives when we should ask, what kind of seeds have I been sowing? Think through what you've been planting. Whether you know it or not, every single day, you're planting seeds and reaping seeds. Seeds of ideas. Seeds of thoughts in your head. What, you, what do you walk around with? What's your self-talk? What, what kind of seed are you sowing over your own life? How, are are those, those thoughts and attitudes, those attitudes sow seed in a relationship? How about decisions and actions and conversations? Those are all sowing seed into the world. great question is, how can I be intentional to sow the right seed? How can I be intentional to sow the right seed? Because I'm going to reap what I sow. God's a God of order. And the world is not a chaotic world. It's a world of order. And it's just this simple principle. You reap what you sow. A lot of people are depressed, full of depression and anxiety. Depression, anxiety, suicide's gone up. And they found an actual correlation with the amount of time you spend on social media. Whoa, really? You're sowing the seed of this and you're bearing the fruit of that. Sowing and reaping. If you tell a kid, man, you'll never amount to anything, do you know the kind of seed that sows in their soil that may still hound them a decade later? We have to be careful with our mouth and our thoughts, intentions, actions. What seed are we sowing? Here's a spiritual principle. A crop is not going to go away until all seed you planted comes up. Who, baby? Either amen or oh my, right? The crop is not going to go away until all the seed you planted comes up. Sometimes we feel like we're lied to by preachers like me when we realize... Our sin, we repent, but the crop we've sowed beforehand is still there. And then we get angry at God. The crop is not going to go away until all that seed is going to come to fruition. And the reason why God doesn't take the crop away is because He wants you to come to the point where you're so angry, you're so irritated, And you're so motivated that you cry out, I am never going to sow that kind of seed ever again. That's where transformation takes place. It's God, I've been seeing this this seed that I've been sowing in this relationship, and and it's producing death 
So I need to analyze what kind of seed am I sowing that I'm responsible for. If it's in a relationship, a lot of times, and, and it's being strained or really frustrated, a lot of times the eyes are, uh, I'll, I'll start sowing good seed if they start sowing good seed, right? And both people are thinking the exact same thing, and it's like, well, actually to kind of break this up, how about the more mature person go first? That's a great line. When you're working with kids, it's like, hey, how about the more mature person do the right thing first? Well, I want to be, you know, it kind of creates a little, anyway. A true definition of a miracle is an occurrence in which God stops maybe a bad crop from coming up. That happens. That happens. You sown good seed and in God's, or bad seed, and in God's miraculous grace, He may rescue you from the consequences of that bad seed, but it doesn't happen every time. So ask God, God, I've been sowing some bad seed there. God, would you please redeem me from the consequences of this bad seed? But you still have to stay in it that if God relents and doesn't rescue you, that you're in it, that I'm going to start learning how to sow consistently good seed in in a field that I've sown a ton of bad. And I want to see this new crop overtake the old crop, but it doesn't happen overnight. The longer you're following Jesus over time, the less and less the hardships in our lives are simply the result of your own stupid decisions and more a result of being resisted by a fallen world. So it gets better. You sow good seed, man, you you start yielding some amazing crops. Galatians 6.9, just a repeat, Paul says this, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. And there's so many times where you just want to throw in the towel, right? Some days where you're just like, man, I just want to stop. I want to quit. But God's like, don't quit. Keep sowing that good seed. Keep enduring. Keep sowing good seed. And given enough time, it's going to reap you're going to reap it. There will be a harvest. So, application. Training mission number three is plant new crops. All right? This is where we're going with this today, is plant new crops. All right, here's a little homework. If you don't have a piece of paper out with you, then here's your, two, here's your homeworks, okay? Just, this, is, this will take 20 minutes to kind of do this week. But I would say it would be so important to to do this so that you get your bearings on what God's doing in this season and so that you don't go around the mountain on past seasons of lessons you should have learned. Amen? Because God's faithful. He'll keep you going around that mountain until you learn it. And then he'll move you on because he loves you and is faithful to not only author your faith but to perfect your faith. So we're going to make two lists. All right? List number one is the never again list. I'm never going to sow this seed ever again. And so kind of go back through the seasons of your life. Oh, yeah, that was, a, that was a bad seed. I'm never going to sow that seed again. I see I lived through the ruinous fruit in my own life, and I never want to live that, that again. So make two lists. Have some ongoing lists, maybe in kind of the front page of your journal or back page of your journal. If you have one, I encourage you to. Uh, and just write down what God speaks to you. Allow it to kind of grow and develop a little history with him. But 
never again list. Things that you've sown, ruined your life, or had the potential to, what would that be for you? Think about your own life. Think about if you're married, um, the never again list with your spouse, if you're married. Never again list with your kids, if you have them. Never again list maybe with your coworkers. Ooh, man, that HR. Ah, man, that one time. Yeah, I'll never sow that seed again. Anyway, whatever it is, key relationships. Apply that. Never again list. God wants you learning these lessons so you don't have to repeat them again. Second list, okay? It's the sow that good seed list. The sow that good seed list is what seed am I going to resolve to start sowing into my life, in the life of my spouse, in the life of my kids, at the life of my work, all my coworkers, with my boss, whoever I get to be around, what kind of seed am I going to sow? And write that down. This is the seed I'm going to focus on sowing in this season of my life. I've got my never again seeds. Those are going to be put up on a shelf and retired, baby. We're never going to live those again. But I need to, I need to be intentional with sowing good seed. Amen? So endure through it, regardless of how it looks. Man, I've seen so many times, time and time again, Man, a relationship is strained, and you're like, man, I don't know if there's any hope here. But people resolve to start sowing good seed, and they start sowing good seed. And we might have some kind of rocky and some, some two steps forwards and one steps back, but they start sowing good seed. And within six months to a year, they look at each other, and they're like, I didn't know I could ever be this close to you. Why? It's because you decided way early on that you were going to resolve to, I'm Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what these conditions are trying to make me react to, nah, I'm going to intentionally sow this seed in this relationship or in this circumstance. That's it. The law of sowing and reaping. It's God's kind of principle of how he set up our entire universe. It is reality. What you sow, you will reap. So, hope you make some good lists. Let God maybe expand your, um, your kind of box as to what kind of seed you need to be sowing. Maybe it's not just with your lips. Maybe it's not just with your words. Maybe, God, give me maybe some actions, maybe some steps, things that I can do to demonstrate good seed. Maybe it is living a little bit more sacrificially around my family or my marriage, or maybe I need to begin to start doing some things and not just saying good seed good seed, but executing in my actions, good seed. Amen? So I pray that God would in that time this week, so it's a little homework, but again, we're, we're getting trained up to live this kind of hero-level living. So I encourage you, spend that time. I think the Holy Spirit will shock you as to the seeds that you remember. Oh, that seed, yes, I'll never sow that again. And then he may surprise you at the seeds that he wants you to sow in this next season. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word this morning. God, that, you, that we are not to be deceived, that you are not mocked, that God, whatever we sow, we will reap. And you, Lord, you're faithful to see whatever we sow come up. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would give us an endurance, a resilience in your sons and daughters in this season, 
Father, to sow the right seed, to, Lord, not be reactionary as much as our world will want us to react, maybe even training us just to react. Father, not with your people. Lord, you give us direction. Lord, you give us an anchor to our soul. You give us words of encouragement and uh, and, and direction in our life. And Father, I pray that, Lord, you would open up this world of sowing and reaping to us. And Lord, let us intentionally sow the right seed. Help us. Help us sow the right seed in our relationships, even our own self-talk throughout the day. Father, at work. Father, let us be good seed sowers of you and your kingdom. Let our lips and our actions be peppered with your presence and your life, your abundant life. Father, we all just know that this generation needs your light more than maybe any other time in our nation's history. And Father, I pray that you would raise up mighty sons and daughters of God, not just to be on the defense, but to be on the offense. That God, we don't have the power to save people. We don't have the power to transform people. But we do have the power to choose. I'm going to sow this good seed today. And Lord, we trust that your, your spirit and your presence goes with that and germinates it into life and abundance and, fruit and flourishing in people. Lord God, I pray that you would train us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.